Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. Uh, one of the, my prayers, and I've talked to the elders about it, is I want this church to be the most empowering place on the planet. So when people come here, it's not a place where you know, the pastor does everything, the pastor's honored. I want to be a place that we empower. Jesus empowered people to go and do what they were called to do. And so I've always just dreamed of a church that looked like that, a place where people were empowered, they were stretched, they were trained, they were equipped, they were released and challenged to step out into their destiny and into their callings and into their giftings. And so with some of our young people, I was praying about five people that we could do or allow to share or preach for five to seven minutes apiece, kind of stretch them, but also set culture, meaning hopefully it challenges you if these young people can step out into their calling and gifting Maybe you'll be inspired to step out of your seat, out of your pew, and into your gifting and calling to make an impact in the world around you. It's so important. It's one of our four pillars of our mission, to discover your purpose so we can empower you to make an impact through your purpose. So I prayed through, and we have five individuals. I'll introduce them one by one when we get here. But what I need from you is I need this not to be just the most empowering place on the planet, but the most encouraging place on the planet. I told them, you don't have to be nervous. Everyone in this room wants to see you succeed. They want to hear you celebrate. You can amen them. You can shout them down if you want to. If they get a little foot stomping preaching up here, shout them down. If, if you get excited, encourage them and make sure you celebrate them and encourage them along the way. And so it's going to be a great opportunity. But let's pray as we get ready. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you are a good and amazing God. And we thank you for transitions in life. We thank you for seasons. But we also thank you for destinies and purposes and futures. And I pray this morning, as each one of these young people share their heart and they share your word, that you use them as vessels to pour out your spirit and to pour out your blessing upon your people. And I pray that your people, Father, their minds, their hearts, their spirits are open to receive everything you have in store for them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So first and foremost, is going to be Harley Duncan. So Harley graduated from UNA with honors. He's actually our spiritual son. He moved here. He actually beat us here. We announced our church in Nashville. Hey, we're moving to a place called Florence, Alabama. Had no idea where it was. And I told them, and he actually moved here that week. Actually came down, found a job, found a place, and beat us here. And a couple years ago, we kind of adopted him. We actually tried to legally adopt him. Uh, but in Alabama, you cannot legally adopt adults. Every other state in America, you can, except for Alabama. And so he is our son. Uh, we love him. Uh, they're going to make a transition, him and his wife, here in the near future. And so if you would, welcome Harley Duncan. Good morning. Um, I just first want to take this time to say thank you so much to Pastor Bobby and Toya and the elders of this church for being one that has a mission to empower others, like he was saying, uh, one that doesn't consolidate power into all one place, but truly having that mission to make sure each one of us are using our giftings uh, and empowering us to go out uh, and be the gospel and to share the gospel. So thank you guys so much. Uh, graduation is one of the few moments that we really celebrate in our lives to the fullest. It's one of those few moments like our wedding day or the day that our first baby is born or our 16th birthday that we can remember exactly where we were and who we were with during that time. 
And with graduation, there inevitably occurs something called a transition. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today is how we can transition properly into the next seasons of our life, because it is going to happen. For RJ, he's going from sixth grade to seventh grade, which I now have learned that's elementary school to middle school, but I'm still not sure why there's a graduation for that. Um, For high schoolers, they're graduating from high school and going into college. And for me, I'm going from college into quote unquote, the real world. So we all have different obstacles to face and we all have um, different experiences that we're taking with us. Uh, In Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 through 8, uh, the Bible talks about um, transition. Uh, it starts with, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So clearly in God's word, we are going to be transitioning in and out of many seasons of our lives. And so we need to be well equipped and understand what that means for us as we enter those seasons. There are two things that really stuck out to me in preparation for this. Uh, and the first one that I want to start off with um, that's important during transition is prayer and reflection. Reflection is intentionally looking back in your own life to where you have been, what you have done, and who you have met. John Dewey, who created the Dewey Decimal System and many other things, said, we do not learn from experience, we learn from reflecting on experience. And in Matthew 26, verses 36 through 37, we have a perfect example of a hard transition in Jesus's life from where he went from being totally in great relationship with the disciples to being arrested and then eventually to the cross uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then Jesus went to them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so Jesus knew the importance to find what is called silence and solitude so that he could properly and be fruitful in his prayer and his reflection. A lot of times in our lives, it's very, very busy, especially as Americans. And we do, I know for myself, I often neglect to carve out a time of solitude and silence so I can have this time of prayer and reflection for big transitions. My wife and I are actually going to be moving to Raleigh, North Carolina this summer, and I have an interview tomorrow. And what I've learned through this short time of transition from another state to the next is that it is so important to know what God is saying and what God wants you to do and who he wants you to be with. Over 23 instances, Jesus intentionally found a place of solitude and silence for prayer and reflection before transitioning to the next village he was ministering to in his relationships and even unto the cross. Another way that we can be reflective in our lives and we can be intentional with silence and solitude is with creating memorials. 
Throughout the entire Bible, there are memorials that God has commanded for people to create so they can always go back and remember who they were and where they were, and then they can transition into their new lives to be who God wants them to be and where he wants them to be. Um, A little bit of anatomy and physiology. I'm trying not to take too much time. Um, But the brain, we we always thought that memories were stored in a big filing cabinet, very organized, and that we could go back at any point and get those memories and see them exactly how they were. But now we know our memories are actually these, it's a big complex web full of experiences and people in our lives. And some memories have more preference than others, depending on if there was an intentional moment where we created a memorial or an unintentional moment where there's a moment of trauma or a moment of great joy. But in what we can do is create intentional memorials in our lives to see where God has changed us and brought us to a place um, of renewal and redemption. Believers need to be aware when to create memorials within their lives to help reflect and the wisdom to steward their time for silence and prayer. The number two thing that I came up with that was big is as you transition, it is important to be a part of a Jesus-centered community as a believer. Again, to be a part of a Jesus-centered community. Paul consistently writes and reminds the churches that they are one body in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12, 12, and 26 through 27. In 12, he says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And then in 26 through 27, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So it is clear that we are one body. As individuals, we are part of the body of Christ. As a congregation, we are collectively the body of Christ. And it is important for us to make sure that we have these relationships and be centered within a Jesus-centered community. Jesus-centered community keeps us accountable, encouraged, and is the primary conduit for for the gospel to be known in our lives and others. And that leads into our relationships with the body of Christ are our primary resources for daily discipleship. As it says in Proverbs 27, 17, that iron sharpens iron as a man sharpens another. And that is so true within a Jesus-centered community. Our relationships, the word of God feeds us and it is living and it is important to us. But our relationships are the ones that are going to be stewarding us, that are gonna be with us through the hard times and the good times. They're the ones that are going to be praying for us. They're the ones that we are going to be praying for. It is in our relationships that we take this wisdom and we mold it together to be transformed by God. One big thing that's crucial for transition as well is we must evaluate our relationships. Who should or should not be in certain places in our lives? This is a difficult one because it requires sometimes confrontation and sometimes detachment depending on the situation. But the reality is that for those who are transitioning, whether it be from a non-believer to a believer, from one job to the other, from one church to the next, to one city to the, to the next, we are going to have to evaluate our relationships and understand that some are going to change. And, that, and that's not always a bad thing, but it's crucial for us because as humans, we only have the capacity to keep this inner circle like Jesus did with the disciples to really connect with people at a deeper level. For high schoolers going into college, 
It is important that they evaluate their relationships that they have in high school for the last 13 years with these people and understand that they are stepping into a season where they may not know many people, but they're going to eventually create friendships that are going to be hopefully centered in Christ and that they can build upon. Uh, Bobby uh, mentioned a little bit about my story and how uh, I moved down here with them. When I was 17 years old, my mom passed away in a car accident, and uh, my father was not a part of my life. So I was on my own, and for two years, I really spent a lot of time uh, in just depression, anxiety, made a lot of bad choices, uh, and did, uh, made a lot of bad relationships. However, um, one night in my bedroom, I was crying like a baby and gave my life to Christ. And what that, what that did was it, it catapulted a transition in my life. I was no longer who I once was, but now I am someone who is, this, who is a son of God and who is going to be continuously transformed by him and the community that I'm, I'll be a part of. So the very next day, after I had, had this moment in my bedroom, I contacted the church that I had the most connection with at that time, and that was the one we had my mother's funeral service at. And Bobby Gorley just happened to be there at that time. And I got to meet Bobby, and of course, he told you, built a relationship with him, we moved down to Florence, and eventually they have adopted me as their son. And that right there is a promise. And I'm a testimony, and a lot of us have these kind of testimonies, how God keeps his promise of redemption in our lives when we obey the commandments that he has given us. God didn't necessarily command me to do anything in that bedroom that night. He overwhelmed me with his love. And then there from, from there on, his spirit led me to be a part of a Jesus-centered community. And that's what I have been doing ever since. And now he is showing me that we need to uh, move on from where we are here now. Uh, in this conclusion, I wanted to uh, tell, just speak from Joshua 1, verses uh, 6 through 9. And to just give a little context with this, Joshua was going through a transition Moses had just died. Um, he was the primary authority at that time. So now Joshua was stepping into this new role. And God, um, just like any other human, I would imagine that Joshua would have some type, of, some type of anxiety, some type of worry, and some type of doubt within his leadership. And we see here how God has spoken to him and encouraged him. And he says in verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all this is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In scripture, it shows us right here that as we transition, that God, as believers, that God is before us already working for us, that God is already preparing a place for us. And all he has asked us to do is follow his command. He says, have I not commanded you? This should give us an assurance that he is already before us and that all we have to do is simply obey. Lastly, I just wanted to end with encouragement to the other graduates that are here. For those who are in the season of transition, remember that God is with you and before you. Be quick to enter in prayer and be sure to make the time for solitude and silence so you may hear what God is speaking to you. And for those who have family members in their lives that you know that they are currently transitioning in any way, for, um, 
Be sure to pray with them and for them. Encourage them and hold them accountable and walk next to them and love them well. Thank you so much. So this week, as, as I was praying for all these young people who are going to share, I prayed for God to give me a word of encouragement to each one of them. So usually what happens, I just spend you know, a couple hours just praying and ask God, how do you want to encourage them? What do you want to show them? What do you want to speak into their life? Sometimes he'll give me a scripture. Sometimes he'll give me a vision. Sometimes he'll give me a picture. Uh, but so I want to share these words with each one of them. So if you would, just in agreement, reach your hand towards Harley as I read this word that uh, God gave me for him. It's Deuteronomy 32.10. Says he found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. God found you in a desert place. He found you in your wilderness. He found you on purpose. He wanted you. He surrounded you with his love. He encircled you with God moments. He cared for you and he also protected you. Why? Because you are the apple of his eye. God wants you to know that he is proud of you, he loves you, he approves of you, he is proud of the young man you have become, he is proud of the husband you are, he is proud of the friend you are, he is proud of the son you are, and he's also proud of the brother you are. He asks that you don't live backward, but forward. Live out of his approval. Through his approval, you can establish your own family, your own legacy, and your own family. You don't have to fix the past or resolve former situations. He approves of you and wants you to move forward and pay it forward. He wants you to do for others what he has done for you. As Psalm 68, 5 through 6 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God and his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Father, we love you. We thank you for Harley. We thank you for his story, but we thank you for your hand being upon his life. And I pray that you keep your hand upon him and you guide him and lead him step by step in the place you have prepared for him in his future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him a big round of applause real quick. Next up is Jensen Thomas. Jensen is Phil and Bev Wigginton's grandson. He told me, could you just please introduce me as the one who's tall, dark, and handsome? So he's obviously not tall. He's obviously not dark. You can guess the handsome part. He, he may be okay. Uh, but he's got a great story, great young man with a great future, about to leave to go to Auburn here in the fall uh, on scholarship. And so he'll be War Eagle, leave out the middle word, War Eagle, uh, in the fall. So give him a big round of applause real quick. Awesome. Uh all right, so uh, like you said, my name is Jensen Thomas. I've been going to church here for like three years, so if you don't know me, your looks ran out because we're going to get kind of personal. All right, so uh, some words to describe the old me, which some of you know, some of you don't, are depressed, anorexic, runaway, mentally abused, and living only for myself. And so some of you that know me now are like, what the heck, he's kind of a decent guy, you know, he's okay. Uh, well, that's why I want to share with you the uh, power of physical and spiritual adoption. And so there's no better way to do that for me just to share with you all my testimony. So I'll start with when I was a kid. Uh, I had a really good childhood. My parents were great. Uh, I was taught about God, taught about Christianity, stuff like that. And childhood really was great. But uh, fast forward a few years, uh, my parents found some temptation and drugs were involved and stuff like that. And stuff kind of like went downhill for a while. And so eventually we moved to Ocean Springs, Mississippi when I was like eight-ish, nine-ish. Well, no, probably ten-ish. I don't know. Somewhere around there when I was a child. We moved there and uh, started over, and it was really great. Like, life was great. It was one of the happiest times of my life. We had a great time as a family, stuff like that. And uh, eventually, uh, six months later, my dad lost a job, and uh, stuff just kind of went downhill even more. We got, it felt like in a temptation, and eventually went to rehab. 
And I moved in with my aunt who was uh, mentally abusive towards me and letting me depressed, uh, lost a lot of weight. I was anorexic and got down to about 98 pounds at the age of 15. And so she also forced religion on me. So I kind of rejected God in that period of my life as well. And so then, as I'd recommend every kid doing at least once, I ran away. And so, um, <laughs> uh, please don't. Um, so I ran away uh, and I called Beverly and Phil and I was like, Hey, Phil, uh, will you come pick me up? Like, I ran to a gas station. Uh, so I ran, hey, Phil, come pick me up. And he was like, oh, suck it up. I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. But so I called Beverly. I got in touch with Beverly, and so I got picked up, and I got to live with them. And so that's where my physical adoption started, and it began to, it was a catalyst for my spiritual adoption and who I am today. And so through that, I began to gain weight and started to get better and stuff like that. And so around sophomore year, I was a little bit heavier, I guess. And so I gained weight, and I was like, oh, man, I want to be cool now. Like, I get, I get to be cool, you know, stuff like that, which I wasn't. But so we, we, I, got, I started trying to, like, fit in with the world because the world wants you to drink. They want you to do stuff with girls. They want you to do drugs, stuff like that. And that just led to my other, like, just, like depression even more. And that was my, one of my other low points in my life. So I started to do that. I started to get in a relationship with a girl who wasn't good for me. She didn't believe and led me to have a lot of doubt and stuff like that as well. And so through that, uh, I guess... Six months into worship, we went. I went to a church camp, and like a basic white girl, I had a revelation there. And so, I uh, was sitting there praying, and like I'm not trying to like downplay the uh, spiritual intimacy of this moment, but I was sitting there praying, uh, head like down, crying, listening to this pastor speak, and uh, I just heard the words. Like I was sitting there, and I was like, God, just help me. Like I don't, I know I'm not supposed to be here. Like please help me, and uh, just tell me what to do. And so. I felt his presence, and the pastor said, the next thing he said was, if you're in an unequivocal relationship, get out of it. And I was like, all right, God, I'm listening to you. I'm going to go home and do that. And so went back home, fought it for like a week, and then broke up with her. And that was when my spiritual adoption began. I started pursuing God, started uh, going to church, started like actually desiring to be like spend time with him. And so I started to uh, get plugged in more in media team and uh, start going to Haiti. And through that, I got baptized and just lead others to him in my daily life and at home, Haiti, everywhere. And it's just, that's my spiritual adoption. And so also I got, uh, I have a story that aligns with that as well. It's the story of Moses, which many of you probably know. Uh, I paraphrased it. So it's not, this isn't the scripture. Uh, story of Moses. The books of Exodus contains a story, Exodus 1, 15 through 22, of a Hebrew woman, Jochebed, who had a son at a time when Pharaoh ordered all Hebrew male infants to be put to death. Instead, Jochebed found a basket, waterproofed it, placed her son inside, and gently sent him down the river. Not long after, one of Pharaoh's daughters caught sight of the basket and retrieved the young boy. She eventually adopted him into the royal family and named him Moses, Exodus 2, 1 through 10. The same Moses who grew to be an important leader, prophet, and faithful servant of God. And so that's a story that also shows how physical adoption can act as a catalyst for spiritual adoption and the power of it. And I also have an example of a verse that goes along with uh, spiritual adoption, and it's Romans 8.15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And we cry, Abba, Father. And so that's really just showing, like, we were in slavery, and now we're in sonship, and that's just the power of spiritual adoption as well. And so my main point is pretty simple. Great things happen through adoption. Adoption has been an overwhelming factor in both my life, physical and spiritual, and led to who I am today. And if you've ignored me this entire time, I have one thing, like my main takeaway for this. Uh, 
sure, you might not have had like a physical adoption story or anything like that, but either we have had or had an opportunity to have a story of spiritual adoption. And I hope my story can illustrate the transformative power of spiritual adoption. And now I believe that I've been prepared for Auburn in my life pursuing God and leading others to him because I know I've been called to the lost through my story. And that is basically it. And I have a conclusion. I would like to thank first my parents and Beverly and Phil for shaping me and molding me into who I am today. You have exceedingly prepared me to live up my life pursuing God and honoring him with my thoughts, actions, and intentions. Thank you. Yeah, so with all that going on in his life, his ACT score was still a 33. <laughs> so we would reach our hands towards Jensen. I'm going to share this. Uh, when I was praying for you, God brought up Daniel chapter 4, verse 10 through 12, which is the visions of my head as I lay in bed with these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Uh, God has had his hand on you your entire life. He desires for you to grow into a strong, godly man that is rooted in his ways and his love so that others can experience him through the fruit he produces in your life. He's calling you to live just like the tree above reproach of sin, above the standards of the world and above the ways of culture. He's calling you to reach towards heaven so you can bring heaven down to the world. In doing so, your life will be beautiful and abundant to others. Your life, your words, and your relationships will be life-giving to those around you, but it will not be easy. As you reach toward heaven and to live a life above mediocrity, there will be people, even people close to you that love you, who will try to persuade you to lower your standards and to slow down your pursuit. There will be voices that try to tell you that you are great and that you are better than others who do not have your specific calling, but it will be a voice of pride and self-righteousness. The next few verses after uh, these in Daniel 4 are about the tree getting cut down due to its pride and arrogance. Here's the key to you fighting off pride and remaining as, as the strong, beautiful tree in God's garden. You did not plant yourself in his garden. You did not become strong and beautiful based on your abilities nor your hard work. You were planted in God's garden by the prayers of loved ones. They prayed for you to be planted. They prayed for you to be watered. They prayed for you to grow. And no matter where you go in life, you must remember that you are there because of two things, the prayers of others and the amazing grace of God. With those two things, you can defeat the poison of pride and you become the strong heavenly tree God has called you to be. Father, we thank you for Jensen. We thank you for his story. We thank you for your hand upon his life. And we just pray for you, grow him into the strong tree you've called him to be that can be an influencer of the world around him. No matter where he goes to Auburn and to his career and to his family, let others rest under the shade of your glory through his life. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Love you. And next up is the Olivia Anderson. Olivia is the granddaughter of uh, Mike and Joan Lee, who are two of the founding elders here of the church. They were actually here before Pastor Doc and Miss June, so they kind of started it. Pastor Doc came six months later, and so her family, Larissa, uh, her, her mom, and her sisters, Jessica and Erica, have been rooted in this church for, for a long, long, long time, and she just has a beautiful calling and gifting upon her life, and she's going to do an incredible job. She said she's a little bit nervous, so I did this in first service, so just to help her not be nervous, just shake your head like this just a little bit. You know, all that is to make you look really dumb, so it makes her feel a little bit better. So give her a big round of applause real quick. 
Yes, it helps so much now that you know I'm nervous. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be talking about spiritual gifts and not neglecting your gift. I'm going to start in 1 Timothy 4.14. It says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So for those of you who don't know my story, my dad and my mother divorced when I was seven years old. My dad was a drug addict. Um, I really didn't have a stable father figure any time growing up. Um, and if any of you have been through that, you know that wreaks a lot of havoc on your life, especially going through it um, really young. So my lack of an earthly father really gave me a lack of a desire for a heavenly father. Um, I was really bitter with the Lord. I thought um, that really I blamed him, honestly, for a lot of the things that I went through. There was a period of really disbelief that I went through, um, thinking that if the Lord was real, um, I'd been going to church for so long, that if the Lord was real, why would this happen to me? Um, it caused me to harden my heart and harbor a lot of bitterness and made me really just angry and distant. Um, my anger and bitterness um, also made me just resent men for a period of time, all men, especially ones like in authority. I just wanted nothing to do with anybody, especially the Lord. Um, I felt like I was constantly searching for something, but unsure of what exactly I was searching for. So in one of the rougher patches in my life, Daniel Powell approached me and asked me if I'd ever thought about being on the worship team because my sister told him that I sing in the shower and in the car. <laughs> and I told him he was crazy if he ever thought that I would stand in front of a group of people and hold a microphone and sing a song. His response to that was to pray about it and let him know if the Lord told me to sit on my gift. <laughs> Couldn't really argue with that one. So, Proverbs 18.16 says, Your gift will make room for you and bring you before the great. You still have to walk in obedience. Look at Moses. God called him to rescue the Israelites from Egypt. He could have easily done it without Moses, but chose to do it through him. Moses immediately began to make excuses, but still chose to walk in obedience and led the Israelites to the promised land. God does not give you gifts for you. He gives you gifts to steward other people. Neglecting your gift is robbing other people of what God has for them. I used to cry every single Wednesday before I would leave worship. And then Sunday mornings was a whole other animal. I'm not kidding. Every single Wednesday, I would cry. Because when the Lord called me to ministry, the first thing that the enemy did was try to tell me that I was not good enough and that I had nothing to contribute and that there was nothing that I could bring to the table. But neglecting your gift is robbing other people of what God has for them. Everyone in this room has a gift. For some people it's serving, others it's giving, or maybe even song. So what is your gift? And what is, how does God want you to use your gift? Whatever that is, just like my gift made room for me, your gift will make room for you. Thank you.
Now, I sing in the shower and the car, but Daniel has never asked me to lead worship. And I did pray about it, and God did say to sit on my gift. So it's different. And then when I sing, I lead worship, other people cry instead of me. So uh, it's a great thing. But uh, I was praying for Livy this week, and uh, God gave me a picture of your name. And so I looked up the meaning of your name. So I just want to speak this over your life. So if we would just reach out towards her in agreement as well. And Olivia, uh, your name is Latin, meaning olive tree. And if you read scripture, the olive tree is mentioned numerous, 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 maybe hundreds of times. And the olive tree is used by God throughout scripture to communicate four primary things, beauty, perseverance, fruitfulness, and anointing. So every time your mom, your dad, your siblings, your grandparents, your aunts, called your name, they're calling you an olive tree. Olive trees have extensive root systems spreading far beyond the reach of the leaves to provide adequate moisture for them. Because the roots travel so far, these trees often stand alone, which accents their beauty. Olive trees are gracefully narrow, light green on one side and even lighter green on the other, and they shimmer beautifully in the wind, and they withstand strong winds due to their deep roots. And Hosea 14 verse 4 says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His roots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive. His fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. You are an olive tree to God. You are beautiful inside and out, and you display his glory to those around you. He's allowed your roots to be planted deep in the soil so that you could, could and can persevere the storms of life, the winds of change, and the seasons of drought, and even seasons of flood. Every time the enemy has come in like a flood into your life, God has risen up a standard for your life based on the roots of your soul. The olive tree produces olives, and olives are good for fruit, but they are much better for oil. When they become oil, they bring out the best flavor from the foods they are used for. And when they become oil, they help transfer the anointing of God from one person to another. The only way olives become oil, though, is through the crushing. They must go into the press and be crushed. The press extracts the oil from the olives and removes the tough skin, leaving only the oil behind. Your anointing will be accessed through the crushing. And God has allowed you to go through seasons of crushing so that he could access your special anointing. God has had his hand on your life, your entire life. He has been developing your roots. He has been protecting you. He has been watching over you. And he's brought you to this place so he can lead you to your place of peace, hope, joy, unconditional love, and destiny that you're looking for. In Psalms 52, 8, it says it this way, but I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever, and I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. God has a place for you, his olive tree, to flourish in. He wants your roots to be planted in his house, and you will flourish as you trust in his steadfast love towards you. You will flourish as you keep his praises flowing out of your heart and out of your mouth, and you will flourish as you wait in the presence of the Lord. You are an olive tree, God's most choice plant that produces oil so that others can experience the anointing and presence of God. Father, we love you. 
We thank you for Olivia. We thank you for the heritage of her family. We thank you for the prayers that have been prayed for her and for her family. And we thank you for the gift that you deposited inside of her. Father, we pray to you right now. You confirm that gift. You seal this gift. You fan this gift in our life and use it for your glory to transfer your anointing from person to person, from people to people, and from glory to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Give her a big round of applause real quick. And next up, two more, is the David Schaefer from Muscle Shoals High School, also going to the Auburn University. What was your ACT score? 34. He beat you. <laughs> Terrible. God. One point. One, that's not important what I made. <laughs> Uh, but David is a, a great young man with a sharp, sharp mind, with a great family. He's a son of Lisa and Guy Schaefer. Uh, Lisa's one of our strong, strong leaders here at chapel and just has an incredible heart uh, for God, his house, and her family. And so David's going to share the word of God. So make him feel welcome real quick. Thank you. Good morning. Um, so have you ever gone to church just because you felt like you were supposed to? because I know I have, and that's where I was a couple years ago. So um, at this point, I would like everyone to close your eyes. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little story. Okay, so imagine you're at a restaurant, okay? And um, you're sitting at a table and you're eating, and the table beside you, you notice there's this woman, she's in her 40s, and she has five kids sitting with her at the table. And the oldest kid, she's about 12 years old, and the youngest is about two years old. And... Um, so she's got her hands full. And uh, so everything's kind of silent in the restaurant. And then suddenly, the oldest girl, she starts making this really obnoxious noise, which is weird, because kids are like perfect, and they don't make weird noises. Um, but then the other four kids, they are like, they're staring at her, and they're like, oh, that's funny. I'm going to join in. And so all of them are like making these really obnoxious noises, really loud, causing a, a disruption. And the mom, uh, she like slams her hand on the table, and she's like, uh, Everyone be quiet. We're going to have a nice family dinner. Uh, so you guys can open your eyes now. But uh, that, that was kind of funny. That was actually my family, and uh, that was my mom. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so my mom had five kids. She was a single parent when I was growing up. Um, so I'm sure she had her, hand, uh, her hands full in public a lot. Um, so my siblings and I were actually really close. Um, I did really whatever my siblings did. Uh, we played in the backyard together a lot. Um, if my siblings were making annoying noises in public in a restaurant, I probably was too. Um, and that kind of bled over into my faith, like in, uh, into my religion. So um, whenever my siblings went to church, I went to, uh, I went every Sunday and every Wednesday. Um, and if my siblings were raising their hands when we were in worship, I was doing that too. I just wanted to do what everyone else was doing. Uh, my faith kind of became more of a ritual and more of religion, and it wasn't true faith. Uh, and when I was alone, there was no, there was no real substance. So um, at this point, I'm going to read 1 John 3:16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So in this verse, uh, we kind of see a comparison between uh, religion for Christ, which is just loving in word and in talk. And that's kind of where I was. I was just portraying myself as a Christian, 
and I was doing things for personal gain, and I just wanted to look good from the outside. Um, and then we see the contrasted side, uh, relationship with Christ, uh, which is loving in deed and in truth. So for me, I think a turning point in my life was when uh, I began to uh, take my faith personally and I began to read the Bible on my own, on my own time instead of just having it read to me uh, and just listening. Um, and I began to develop a passion for God's Word. And it was at that point when I stopped living someone else's faith and I stopped just doing uh, what my siblings were doing and I allowed uh, Jesus to have a relationship with me. And so after a few weeks of this, I realized that uh, my motivations for doing things changed. I was really involved in the church and I served a lot, but um, prior to um, this change, I just served out of uh, selfishness and I served to gain status or whatever, but um, as Jesus began to work in me, my motivation changed um, so that I could serve out of love, uh, out of love for Jesus. And uh, I, got, I came to the realization that um, the only way I can know love and the only way I can serve out of love is um, by knowing that Jesus died for me. And, uh, he died for me while I was still a sinner, and he loved me first. So that's um, a little bit about my journey from a religion for Christ to a relationship with Christ. Um, and at this point, I want to thank my mom for uh, setting the example for me. Um, every time I get up for school, I get up at like 6 a.m., and I see my mom, and she's already awake, and she's spending time with God. And I know that she gets up at like 5 a.m. And so she sets the example for me. And that's the reason that um, I've been able to see that example and follow that example and uh, create a relationship with Christ. So I want to leave you guys with a challenge. Um, what's one thing that you can do this week to deepen uh, and go further into your relationship with Christ? And uh, not just do things because someone else is doing them, but um, do things out of a love for Christ and uh, to love in deed and in truth, like John said. So uh, thank you for your time. That's, that's it. Same way, if you'd reach your hands towards David. That was a prayer for David. God showed me a, a small stream that was flowing into an ocean. So I just want to write down kind of what I felt like God was saying. Um, it said, God showed me a vision of a small stream flowing. And as the stream continued to flow, it increased in width, flow, and intensity. As it continued to flow, it became a roaring ocean. As I asked God what the stream meant, I believe the stream is your thought life. Your thoughts start small and simple, but the longer you think and ponder about them, the more they increase in width, flow, and intensity. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinketh, so is he. Ezekiel eleven five says, and the spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, say, thus says the Lord, so you think, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. God knows what comes into your mind. He knows what thoughts keep you up at night. He knows which thoughts inspire you and also which thoughts intimidate you. You have a very strong and intelligent mind, but it is also a very sensitive mind. Your mind has the ability to create. Your mind will steer you. What you choose to think on and about will determine your destiny. Your thoughts will start like a stream and can end up like an ocean. But an ocean can be a place of life or it can be a place of fear. And the greatest thinkers have the greatest opportunity to create with their thoughts or destroy with their thoughts. Therefore, you must take every thought captive, damn up thoughts that are destructive, and release thoughts that produce life and godliness. And 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge or the thoughts of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
David, for you are not a byproduct of your circumstances nor your past, but a byproduct of your thoughts. Father, we love you. We thank you for David. We thank you for his mom, Lisa, who has prepared the way for him and made an example and modeled a life of intimacy with you. And we just thank you for the mind that you've given him that is sharp, that is strong, that is intelligent, that is creative. And we pray that you help him narrow down those thoughts to produce strength and peace and hope in his life. Use his mind to create joy and hope and prosperity for those around him. And Father, help him to captivate and to take captive and to filter every thought that is not of you and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. And so, Father, we thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you, buddy. And then last, and maybe least, the baby of the Gorley household. So here's the difference between dads and moms. At 12 years old, I think a young boy should have a job, pay bills, have his own house, get dressed by himself, brushes he should be a man. But when you're the baby, you're a baby. So if it's up the toy, he'd still be in diapers, walking around, you know, hanging out with mama. So he may be wearing diapers this morning, I'm not sure. But uh, as I was praying about the, the, the graduates, I really wanted a sixth grader to be able to do this. And I was praying, I was like, God, but he's my son. What about somebody else? God said, no, I want him to do it. And so I was praying, uh, I asked RJ, are you willing to do this? Do you want to do it? And I've never seen him as excited about anything in his life as the past few weeks getting ready for this. And so we sat down, he kind of preached this sermon to me, I helped him outline it, and he's just been going over it and thinking through it. And so if you would, please welcome R.J. Gorley. Hello, my name is R.J. Gorley. I'm in sixth grade, going into seventh grade. I am in, I'm going from elementary school to middle school, and I'm going from kids ministry to youth ministry. So today I'm talking about God encounters lead to God transformations. How are we transformed? How can we transform our fear into courage? How can we transform our hopelessness into hope? How can we transform our stress into peace? So here's a story about transformation. So about six years ago, we lived in, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and there was a tornado, um, and it destroyed a lot of stuff near our house. Our trampoline was in our, across our neighborhood in somebody else's backyard. Our fence was destroyed. Our roofing was all messed up. So we had to go outside and tear down the fence so we could get ready to build another fence. And when you think of tearing down the fence, you probably think of taking out the planks and taking out the posts. Well, my dad had other plans. He decided that he was gonna karate kick the fence down. Yeah, we all know how that turned out, but let's just finish the story. So, my dad took about two steps behind me, and I was like, so I don't get to see my dad run a lot, so I was pretty excited. I was like, okay. And um, my dad began to run, and he jumped. I just saw his legs flying everywhere. I was looking around, and boom, I turned around, because I didn't want anything to hit me in the face. And then I just hear this light cry in the background. And so I, turn, I, I come over, I turn around, and I just see my dad hanging by his uh, one leg, stuck in the fence, hanging there. And yeah. So I saw my full-grown dad turn into a little crying baby. <laughs> so, so that encounter with the fence led to my dad transforming into that little baby right there. So... Here's another story about transformation At, from Acts 9, 3 through 9. 
Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, why are, why, who are you, Lord? He, and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voices but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate or dr nor drank. So Saul, going down to the Damascus road, had an encounter with God that led to his transformation and to the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and the man who was building the church. And... <laughs> okay, so... The definition of encounter is an unexpected meeting with someone or something. So when we meet with God, he transforms us into something better. We, we are transformed by having an encounter with God. We transform our fear into courage through an encounter with God. We transform our hopelessness into hope through an encounter with God. We transform our stress into peace through an encounter with God. If we need transformation, we need to go to God because he will always be available and willing to transform us. Transformation is kind of like a butterfly. It starts as just a small caterpillar crawling along the ground in plants. It is limited to walking. It eats and it eats the leaves just like us eating up eating up God's word and consuming it. Then the caterpillar goes into its cocoon, where it is alone. In the cocoon, in the cocoon, it is all by itself. You may not see anything happening, but it is being transformed into something new and better. When, when we get alone with God, it is, <coughs> it is like us crawling into our cocoon so that God can transform us into what he wants us to be. It may be lonely, it may be dark, but God is working on us. Finally, the cocoon opens up and out flies a butterfly, no longer limited to walking along the ground, but now it can fly. Now, now the butterfly is transformed and shows off its beauty. Like when, we are, like when we are changed, we can go out and show off God's work and share it with others like a butterfly shows off its beauty. How can we apply this to our lives? So if you need transformation, build you a cocoon so you can get, al get, so you can get alone with God where you can pray, listen to his voice, worship him, and read his word so he can transform you into the you he wants you to be. And thank you, and goodbye. If you would reach, reach your hands towards RJ after he lied about that story about his daddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, as I was praying for RJ, he brought the name Samson, and so I went to Samson in Judges chapter 13, uh, 12 through 24, but it says, and Manoah said, now when your words come true, what is to be this child's manner of life, and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine nor strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. Samson was a great warrior and leader. He carried God's blessings, favor, and power, and his anointing was based upon the prayers of his parents and his separation from sin and the world. He was strong, he was smart, he was anointed, 
and he was called to rescue his people from the, Israel, the Israelites from the Philistines. He had to be close enough to the world to reach it, but not too close or not close enough to the world to love its ways, for his power was in his separation. RJ, you are strong just like Samson. You are smart just like Samson, and you are anointed just like Samson. You don't even realize it yet, even though everyone around you can already see it. God's favor and hand are upon you, but don't take it for granted. Don't do anything to lose it. Embrace it. You are different. Enjoy it. It comes with blessings, and it comes with responsibility. But your power, your strength, and your anointing is in your separation. God has called you to help him fulfill his mission of rescuing his people from the world. We live in a day where the Philistines are beginning to occupy God's people, their hearts, their lives, and their loves. We no longer live in Israel. We are now Israelites that live in the territory of the Philistines. It will take a new generation of leaders to lead God's people. It will take leaders who are smart yet strong and strong yet smart. It will take leaders who love the Philistines enough to rescue them, but don't love them enough to be like them. It will take leaders who are willing to cross enemy lines to rescue the wounded, but not stay long enough to be influenced by the culture of the Philistines. It will take leaders who stand on truth and walk in grace, and you are one of these leaders. Father, we thank you. For RJ, we thank you for the prayers of his mom, of Toya, praying over them every single day of her life. We thank you that you are a God who's faithful, that as we plant roots, you produce the fruit in our lives. And I thank you for the gifts you've placed in RJ. I pray that you protect them, you guide them, and you release them. Let them be an influence over the world and not, uh, not being influenced by the world. And we thank you for his words, we thank you for his message, and we pray that you bless him in Jesus' name, amen. Give him a round of applause real quick. Yeah, he's still up here lying. Actually, that story is very true, and it's embarrassing when he tells it from the pulpit. Uh, but anyway, so make sure before you leave, they're going to share a couple next steps. But make sure you find one of these young people and encourage them, and just thank them for sharing their hearts, being transparent, but then just encourage them with their walk and their transitions. And so, Brandon Lewis is one of our sixth graders who's graduating. He's about to give some next steps. What's going on at Chapel? We are celebrating the 40th anniversary of chapel on Sunday, June 9th in both services. Go ahead and mark it on your, on your calendar and it will be a day of fun and looking back at the 1970s. Also, youth camp is coming up in July. I don't know who's more excited about me leaving for almost a week, me or my parents. And now we're going to watch a, a, a youth camp video to see how awesome it's going to be.
Awesome. Camp is going to be such an incredible experience. Uh, if you have a, a student in seventh grade to senior in high school, please make sure you sign them up and register them. If you have text CAMP to 256-670-2860, you can do that to receive the form that I need you to fill out to sign up. I've had quite a few people text that, if, and you should have received an a email link for a form. If you don't fill out the form, you're not signed up for camp yet, and spots are limited, so please make sure you fill that form out in its entirety. I have added an option for a $50 deposit if you're not in a place to do the full $199 right this second. I do want to say we want every student to go to camp, so if that's an issue for you, um, shoot me an email, and uh, we'll, we'll make sure that, yeah, that your student gets to camp. Um, camp such an incredible opportunity. Please don't let your student miss out. If you want to sign up today, there's a there's a booth in the lobby. You can go register your student at. There's a pretty lady named Abby Sandin out there uh, that can help you get your student signed up for camp. Also, uh, there is a table with these bottles by our impact booth. Uh, the ladies at Save a Life were absolutely floored by your generosity on Mother's Day. Uh, they were so overwhelmed with all the gifts that we were able to bring them, the diapers, the formula, everything. So thank you so much for, for being a generous church. I love, I love getting to be a part of a body of believers that gives back to the community. Um, so make sure you make yourself available to those two things. If you would, please stand to your feet and give our young communicators one more round of applause for doing an awesome job. We're going to say the chapel creed, and then you will be dismissed. Would you repeat this with me? I was lost, hopeless, broken, and spiritually dead, but God loves me enough to save me by his grace through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now in Jesus, I am forgiven, made brand new. I am set apart. I now pursue God with passion and purpose. I am not alone. I am part of God's family as I build a community of growth, prayer, love, and mission. I am renewing my mind with his word. I am empowered by God's spirit to discover my purpose and develop my gifts to make an impact in the shoals and the world to advance God's kingdom here on earth, all for the glory of God. Make sure you grab a bottle and fill it with pocket change. Bring it back. And you are dismissed. Yes. Yes, I got to do it.